Welcome to the Lake Point Church Weekend Messages Podcast. Thanks for joining us to hear the latest sermons happening at our church. We pray that God speaks to you in a timely way through this message. And if you're encouraged by this podcast, be sure to rate, review, and share it to help get the word out. You can find more digital content to feed your faith and our other podcasts by visiting lakepoint.church/digital. Now, let's tune into the message for today. All right, well, <laughs> yeah, good morning, Lake Point family, and uh, if you guys got your Bibles, we're going to be all over the place today, so like, chill out for now, and we'll get there in a second. Um, I do just need to say, man, if I just seem like a little more up, uh, the Howerton family, we are proud owners of a new puppy as of last night, guys, man, B- big family. So let me introduce you to the very ferocious, very intimidating Mr. Bingley is what we have right here. That's a very feminine awe that I just heard. Uh, that's appropriate because uh, that dog, I have bass baits larger than that dog. Uh, that dog weighs one and a half pounds. Jana named him after a Pride and Prejudice character. If somebody breaks into our house, uh, they've got three problems. Me, Smith, and Wesson, not Bingley. That's the, uh, that's the thing. And so um, all three, you guys, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Um, all three of my kids are home sick today. They're watching Daddy in this service. And so would you guys tell my, help my kids see that congratulations on the new puppy. Love you guys. Love you guys. Awesome. Okay. Um, Hey, all right, well, Lake Point family, we are in week whatever of a series that we are calling Regret Proof Your Life. Um, This is a series, what what we're doing is um, we are responding to the five most common regrets that are documented. This is documented that people have on their deathbeds. Um, if I was gonna give this series a, uh, a visual, this series is encapsulated in one picture. This is the picture, no regrets, no regrets. And uh, <laughs> I, can, I love in every service, there's like people that start laughing really fast and then people who laugh about eight seconds later and uh, on that, and uh, that's always great to me. But what I, my, my job as a pastor is to prepare you for your deathbed. In a very real sense. And so our goal in this series is to prepare you to live this day how you will wish you had lived on that day. And here is the number one. It's the regret that people have on their deathbed. It's very straightforward. People simply die saying this, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. Now, um, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna start um, fairly theological. We're gonna get theological, then we're gonna get really practical. And so like, we're gonna do some Bible teaching up front here. Just track with me. Um, there is a deeply theological reason. This is the most common thing that people express on their deathbed. And here's why. If you get into the book of Genesis, when God creates everything, what he does is there's a very distinct pattern in the book of Genesis when it describes God's creating. It's creation and declaration. So what God does seven times in the book of Genesis, if you'll notice, is he, he does creation, declaration, creation, declaration, creation, declaration seven times. What he does is he creates and then he makes this declaration after everything he creates. And God saw that it was, you say the word out loud, God saw that it was what? That it was, he says it seven times, everything he creates. Now, What I'm getting ready to teach you happens before the fall. So before sin enters the world, brokenness, Satan, all those things. There's one thing that God creates that even though he's created everything good, even though there's no sin in the world, the world has not been spoiled by man's rebellion. There's one thing that even in that pre-fall state, God looks at it and he says this. He says, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so what we see in creation is that even though God is, watch this, God is walking with Adam. He's still going, this is still not good. I say that because a lot of people, what they do is they think that their relationship with God 
is private. And let me just say this. It is personable. It is personal. It's never to be private. Think about this. A lot of people think, man, as long as my relationship with God is good, it's just me and God, intimacy with God and the Holy Spirit. That's all I need. You're wrong. That's not good. Because Adam was literally walking with God in the cool of the day, step by step right next to his maker. And God still goes, not good. Now, let's go a layer deeper theologically. Why was that not good? Well, check this out. The Bible says that you were, Adam was, created, quote, in the image of God. The Council of Nicaea in 300, let's get a, we're gonna get a nerd out for a second here. The Council of Nicaea, when it, it looked into the Bible in, in 325 AD and it said that what God is, God is a trinity. What that means is that God is one in essence, but three in persons, according to the Council of Nicaea. What that means in common American modern terms is that God is one what, but God is three who's. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have existed in relationship for all of eternity. So watch how this math maths. Because God is one what but three who's, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God has existed in relationship. Actually, God himself is a relationship for all of eternity, and you are created in the image of a relational God, and so you were designed for relationship. What this means is that if you try to live an isolated life apart from relationship, God says it's not good because you're rebelling against the nature of the one in whose image you were created. Now, this leads to an inviolable law of human existence. If you're new here, like I'm just going right at it today. There is a law, nobody beats this law. You can't beat this law because to try to beat this law is to rebel against nature, the grain of the universe. Here's the law. The quality of your life will always be determined by the quality of your relationships. It doesn't, it's not determined by sex status stuff. Ultimately, when you get down to the end of the day on your, watch this, on your deathbed, I've been at deathbeds, I'm a pastor. What no one says on their deathbed is bring me my diplomas. Nobody says, bring me my gun collection. Nobody says, go get the Pete Rose rookie card. I just wanna see it one last time. Nobody says, go get my sports car and drive it up through the window. I want one last peek. What everybody says on their deathbed is bring me the people that I love. Why? Because the quality of your life is determined by the quality of your relationships. Now that's theology, let's do sociology, let's go a layer deeper. Okay, I love it when sociology affirms and confirms our theology and what we're seeing is there is a mountain of evidence that is coming out from secular sociologists that are confirming this biblical principle. I'm gonna like riff off a couple of them really quick. There was a Harvard study done by a dude named Robert Putnam. That here's what it found. If you belong to no social groups, so like you're an isolated person outside of a relationship, but then you decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying in the next year in half. Some of you guys with ages that start with like six, seven, and eight, you got a decision to make this week is what needs to happen, okay? Six is a little early, sorry. I apologize for some, that's, that's tough, okay? Another study said this, group connected people, listen really close, I'm gonna get a little wordy. Group connected people, people with like good relationships. <clears throat> group connected people with unhealthy habits like smoking, poor diet, heavy drinking consistently outlive, outlive disconnected people with otherwise healthy lifestyle habits. So if you go deep relationships, but bad health habits, you actually beat the dude that goes isolated from relationships, healthy lifestyle habits. Now, what about marriage? Let's, how's this apply to marriage, okay? Duke University, sociologist, did this study on marriage. Here's what he found. 
whether wives feel satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage is 70% dependent on the quality of the couple's friendship. Now, some of you are like, well, yeah, but that's women, and women are so relational, and the men are different than women, and, and so the men will be totally different, okay? Well, this is the same study found. Whether men are satisfied with the sex, romance, and passion in their marriage is 70% dependent on the quality of their friendship. It turns out that a good marriage really is friends with benefits. That's what that means. Okay, now let's go. Uh, <clears throat> what about age? How's it affect age? Okay, there was this Harvard study. Here's what it found. The single best predictor of health and happiness at age 80, not wealth, not professional success. It's your relationships at age 50. All of these things boil down to this one principle from the Bible, that the quality of your life is going to be determined by the quality of your relationships. Now, I felt led by the Spirit to kind of step into something that's like a little sensitive, but I, just, I need to do this because I wanna be obedient to this. I need to address the men in the room right now. Now, I'm getting ready to make some gender um, generalizations. I'm going to do that, one, because the Bible sometimes does that, and two, because the people of Lake Point are not pansies. So we can handle me making some gender generalizations, right? Okay, so I'm gonna do that. I'm not like saying everybody's like, I'm not saying that. So like, okay, so let me just go here. In general, not always. Uh, women are more relational and men are more functional in general. What this means is that in general, not always, that women are more people-oriented and men tend to be more task-oriented. Now, what this means for a variety of reasons is that men, let me talk to men and husbands in the room. Some of you are in this situation right now where like your wife is the relational driver of your marriage. You actually like would be okay never seeing anyone ever. In fact, your life goal is not to see people. And so like your wife, what she does is she's the one that's constantly pulling, pushing, pulling teeth to try to get you to hang out with anybody while our husband is isolated from relationships, he's lonely. Now watch, what if you do this, men and husbands, one of two things is going to happen. Either you are gonna end up looking at your wife and say, hey, I need you to be my wife and also my entire friend group. And oh, by the way, she can't because she's a wife, she's not 10 people. And you're gonna be looking at her and going, I need you to carry the burden, not just the relational burden, not just of being my wife, but of being my entire friend group. And she's gonna feel crushed by that. Or what you're gonna do, men, I see this all, what you're gonna do is actually you do have three friends. Your three friends are Jim Beam, Jack Daniels, and Jose Cuervo. That's your, those are your three friends. And when you get lonely, it's like, let me go hang out with my three friends. Okay, well, well here, men, you just need to know this. When a husband is isolated relationally, there's an anxiety that rises in his wife because your isolation results in destruction. So this, your wife is looking at you and she has this anxiety because it's like, bro, my husband is melting down. He's spiraling out of control. And the anxiety in her is, watch this, I'm another generalization. The Bible says that in general, God created women as the weaker vessel. And so your wife is looking at you and here's her anxiety. She's like, my husband's not doing good. He's melting down. He's spiraling out of control. But watch this. She's scared to talk to you about it because you're bigger than her, stronger than her, meaner than her, louder than her. And she's like, man, she's going, dude, if I talk to him about this, he may blow up on me. Men, husbands, there is a peace that settles into the soul of a wife when her husband is surrounded by strong, godly men who will call out the best in him and call him back when the worst comes out. And your wife needs that. 
She needs that. You go, oh, well, no, no, John, I don't need that. I'm different. I'm tough. I'm, I, don't, I don't need that. Okay, hey, don't try to be tougher than Jesus. Don't try to be tougher than Jesus. Jesus willingly hung on a cross, had nails driven through his wrists and ankles, bled out willingly when he could have left. Jesus was pretty tough. Do you know what he did as soon as he was given a mission? The Holy Spirit, Jesus is baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's given a mission, commissioned by God to literally save the world. And the first thing that he does when he's given a mission is go find some men. First thing he does, gathers 12 men around him. So you may be going, ah, oh, man, I'm more like the Lone Ranger type. Well, how about this? How about we not model our life off of the Lone Ranger, but we model our life off of our surrounded Savior who surrounded himself with strong men because he knew if I'm gonna fulfill a mission, I'm gonna need some men. You're gonna need that. So listen, can we, can we do that? Do we get that? Does that make sense? Your wives are needing you to step into this. Now, let, let me just talk really quick right now about what's happening, uh, about how this works. Now, some of you will hear what I just said and your impulse will be like, well, I just need to rush into relationships. And then because of like a foolhardy zeal, you will actually rush into relationships that will not be good for you. Now, let me point something else out about Genesis. Have you ever noticed this? Satan leaves Adam alone as long as Adam is alone. Satan never enters the picture until the woman is created. As soon as there's a relationship, then comes Satan. Here's the principle. First comes the wedding, then comes the war. First comes the wedding, then comes the war. So what happens is Satan does this for two reasons. One, Satan hates the family because the family was designed by God to be the transfer, the thing that transfers faith from generation to generation to generation. But number two, Satan knows, man, if I can attack relationships, I'll cut off the primary conduit of the work of God in people's lives. So you will notice this, as soon as you move towards relationships with other godly Christians, Satan will attack those things. And here's how he'll do it. He'll try to confuse you about which relationships you should do. Now, check this out. This is really important. I call this, I need to blast something out before I build something up. This is, what I'm getting ready to say is an example of what I call a stupid thing that smart Christians believe. So here, here we go. This is a stupid thing that smart Christians believe. Christians will say this. They'll especially say it to their children. Never, ever say this to your children. You're teaching them something very harmful. Is they'll say, oh, hey, you say this to your kid. Hey, um, we need to treat all people the same. We need to treat all people equally because people are people. Ah, wrong. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. We don't treat people the same because people are not the same. We treat people according to their character. So check this out. Here's what, I, if you're like, some of you are like, ah, I don't know, this doesn't sound right, Josh. I'll show you in just a second. Here's what I would never say to my son, Hudson. I got a four-year-old son, Hudson. Do you know I wouldn't say? If Hudson had three animals in front of him, a puppy, a snake, and a chupacabra, <laughs> I would not say to Hudson, hey, buddy, treat all those animals the same because animals are animals. No, 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 you're gonna like pet one, draw a boundary with the other and shoot the third. That's what's gonna happen. No, no, you don't treat people the same. You treat people according to their character. Now, some of you are like, ah, oh, sounds kind of like judgy. Doesn't sound very Jesus-y. Well, let me show you how Jesus did this. This is from the book of John, watch this. But you say the yellow word out loud for me, but Jesus didn't, he didn't trust them. He didn't trust them. Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. Nobody needed to tell him about human nature because he knew what was in each person's heart. So watch this. Do we love everybody? Yes. Do we trust everybody? No. 
We give love to people because we have been filled by the spirit of God and they've been created in the image of God. And so yes, we love everybody. Do we trust everybody? Nope. Love is given, trust is earned according to Jesus. This is what we see right here. Now check this out. Here's why I gotta say this. And again, I'm gonna step into some very like some sensitive things in your life. In a second, I'm gonna step into something sensitive probably in your family's life. I'm doing it because I love you. Um, Here's why I say this. I say this in part because some of you are very naive. And and here's what I mean. Naive people, um, I heard somebody teach it like this. Naive people are people who like their default mode is full trust. Everybody you meet, you just automatically lend them all trust. I'm sure they're awesome. You believe the best in everybody. Uh, Whenever anybody has a moral uh, issue or you see somebody make a mistake or they actually betray you or betray your trust, trust, you're the type of person, oh, let's just give them another chance. I'm sure that's not who they are. Uh, You're the person who walks into the living room and you say to your husband, babe, I just checked the email and there's this Nigerian prince that needs help. And we would really, you just, it's just kind of your thing. You're like, you automatically trust everybody, okay? That's naive people. Now, some of you are the exact opposite. Some of you, you're not naive people. You are paranoid people and your default mode isn't trust, it's suspicion, your life motto for everybody you meet is guilty till you prove yourself innocent. That's your life motto. It's like, it doesn't matter what somebody does. So one of your kids could walk in the room like dislocated shoulder, compound fracture, they're bleeding out. Daddy, I need help. And you'd be like, what's your angle? What's your angle? What do you want from me? Um, do you know how to tell who the paranoid people are? They're all the guys who will only sit on the ends of the rows. That's, these are the paranoid people. Every, you'll only sit on the end of the row. And some of you right now, now you're paranoid because I've pointed out that you will only sit on the end of the row. And these are the guys also who, that guy has a firearm with him every week. You're every week, you gotta, and now you're extremely paranoid because you're like, how did he know? I sit on the ends of the rows and I, I'm like literally seeing spouses doing this right now. How did he know? I only sit on the ends of the rows and I always have a fire. I just also wanna say this. I think Lake Point Church on Sunday morning, safest place in America. <laughs> safest place in America. Let me just say this like, bro, somebody try to cause problem in here, we will send them to meet Jesus is what, that's what like, that's a, that's a joke, that's a joke. But so some people, you, you're naive people, you trust everybody. Some people are paranoid people, you trust nobody. Watch this, we don't wanna be, be naive, we don't wanna be paranoid, we wanna be discerning people who trust the right people. Now, what I'm getting ready to show you, if, if you were gonna take like one thing and one thing only out of everything, this is the thing that if you internalize this from the scriptures, it will change your life and save you from more pain and bring you towards more blessing than almost anything I can teach you. Heads up, the younger you are, the more you need this. He- heads up again, if you're not married and you wanna be married, What we're getting ready to teach you from the book of Proverbs might be the most important thing you can get, okay? So check this out. The book of Proverbs says that there are three types of people. There are wise people, foolish people, and evil people. Again, this is is something that I've heard it taught this way. It's very helpful. Wise people, foolish people, and evil people. Now, a fun little assignment. There are 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs, one for every day of the month. 
What you could do, fun little assignment, is you could read one chapter of the book of Proverbs per day for a month, have three highlighters with you, and every time it talks about a wise person, one color, a foolish person, another color, an evil person or a wicked person, another color, and you'll finish with an incredible aggregation of wisdom in a month. But watch this, okay? Three types of people, wise, foolish, evil. Number one, wise people in the Bible, they're represented by shepherds. Shepherds. These are people, check this out, I'm not saying they're the smartest people because watch this, knowledge comes from school, but wisdom comes from the spirit. Wisdom comes from the spirit. The Bible says this about wise people. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you know how how to know if somebody's wise? They know how the word of God applies to a situation and they have the humility to submit themselves to it because they live in the fear of God. So a wise person is somebody who knows Jesus, loves Jesus, obeys Jesus, gives their life to Jesus. They love the people of God. They love the word of God. They live their life for the purposes of God. Here's how you know somebody is wise, is just like shepherds take responsibility for flocks and not just themselves. Wise people are people who are like, man, I love people and I have a desire to help and serve people. Not always, not always, but a lot of times like the shepherds in the body, they're like life group leaders. There are people who are like, yep, I wanna help other people steward themselves toward the blessing of God. These are wise people. Now check this out. Most people are not wise people. Second category is foolish people. In the Bible, foolish people are represented as sheep. How many of y'all, like, sheep are kind of stupid. They are, man. Now, can I just say this? With foolish people, this is all of us sometimes. Everybody does dumb things. How many people have ever done a dumb thing? Have you ever... Okay, if you didn't put your hand up just now, that was a dumb thing to do. That was a dumb, okay, everybody knows, everybody, everywhere, we've done some dumb things. Now, here's the thing about foolish people, it's not that they're not smart, it's that they're irresponsible. And here's the thing about foolish people is they're usually irresponsible people looking for over-responsible people who will take care of all their problems created by their irresponsibility. So there's two types of people in the world, you'll notice this, there's people who are burden givers and people who are burden lifters. Burden lifters are people who, when you see them coming, you're like, oh yeah, man, I love when he's around. I love when she's around. She helps me solve problems. She prays for me. She just has such wisdom. She'll jump in the fire with me, kind of give me help, give me blessing, kind of help me out. That's a burden lifter. Burden givers are people who, when you see them, you're like, oh no. It's like, dude, what's gonna, you're like, no, 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 no. Because you know, all they do is they walk up into your life, vomit all of their problems and then walk away. That it's like, dude, here's all my, I need you to solve all of my problems that I can't solve myself. These are foolish people. Now watch this, wise people make plans, foolish people make excuses. You'll notice this, wise people make plans, foolish people make excuses. Uh, Now, spiritual foolish people, and listen, a lot of Christians, they're still in that foolish stage. They're still growing in knowledge and fear of the Lord. Spiritual foolish people, what they're awesome at is they're great at denying reality. So it's like, hey man, yes, we wanna believe in Jesus, but but we also wanna believe in math. Let's do both. So a spiritual foolish person, they'll look at like an empty bank account and they'll be like, it's gonna be okay because I believe in Jesus. And it's like, yeah, but let's also believe in math. Let's do that. How about a budget? That'd be awesome too. Or, or they'll, 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 they'll step on the scale and they can't see it. And it's gonna be okay. Well, hey, let, let's get a plan is what we could do. We can get a plan. Now, what you're gonna notice about uh, foolish people is, man, a lot of times they're awesome. Foolish people, a lot of times, they're people with good hearts, just naive heads. 
They love Jesus, but they're still figuring it out. That is, they haven't quite figured out, you know, how to, how to walk with God and apply his word in, in wise ways. So this is a lot of times the person who, they love Jesus, but they're still just, they're still just kind of figuring out. Um, this is, I'm gonna use a word here in a second that I typically don't use in a sermon, but you'll see why and just give me grace here. My, I love these, dude. I love the dudes that I meet where it's like, as soon as I talk to them, I'm like, you are not a church guy and I love it. So like my favorite compliment to receive out in the lobby, I call them hell of a talk guys. They walk out, they shake my hand and they don't, they don't, they don't even know the word sermon. They don't even know that word. So they just walk up and they're like, hell of a talk, man. That's a hell of a talk. I call them hell of a talk. I love those guys. Uh, the, these are the guys who are uh, like the guy who lives a true story, who used the F word in his salvation prayer with me in the lobby. This is an example of this. Um, these are the people who uh, literally, true story, put bags of weed in the offering buckets when they come by at some of our campuses so that then everybody for the rest of the row has a decision to make, puff or pass. It's like they gotta make that decision. I don't know, you know? So these are, they love Jesus, they're still figuring it out. Still figuring it out. Now, some of you right now, you're going, mm, I don't like that that stuff's in here, okay? But can I just say, Jesus is going, I just love that those people are in here. Because the healthy have no need, that's right, man. The healthy have no need of a doctor, but the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, Jesus said. Now, third category of people that you gotta be aware of is evil people. Evil people in the Bible are represented by this animal. This, yeah, yeah, that's right. Now, that's a joke. That's like, I get that joke in once a year and it's my favorite one all year. That's a joke. Actually, evil people in the Bible are represented by wolves. The Bible calls them wolves. And here's how you know that somebody is an evil person. They oppose the things of God. They do things like they call the truth hate because the truth sounds like hate to people who hate truth. Evil people are, listen, intentionally dangerous. They use their energy to create injury. Wise people live by the spirit, foolish people live by the flesh, evil people are empowered and live by the demonic. Very often, if I'm just being really honest, these are people who experienced trauma or abuse in the past, but instead of bringing it to Jesus and laying it down at his feet for forgiveness and freedom, what they did is they held on to bitterness, a root of bitterness grew and they gave the devil a foothold and now they believe they have a right to hurt others because they were hurt. They believe they have a right to torment others because they were tormented. And this is what demons do. Demons torment. And so people who are animated by them do the tormenting. If you ever feel like, man, I just feel tormented by this person. Very often, this is actually what's happening. Now, here's why I point this out. Because some of you, I love you so much, but you are, you're still naive people. And so you say things like this when you're choosing relationships in your life. You say things like, go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. You say things like, I want friends who will cheer me on. Can I just say something to you? Hey, friends who will cheer you on all the way to hell are not your friends. They're not actually your friends. And listen, some of you are like, yeah, yeah, Josh. Yeah, there you go, okay. They're like, yeah, yeah, Josh. Yeah, but, 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 but they're believers. They go to church. They say they're Christians. Well, remember, Jesus said the evil people are like wolves in what's clothing? Wolves in sheep's clothing. So in the same way that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, evil people masquerade as foolish or wise people. So listen to me, listen, man, just because they say they're believers doesn't mean you should believe them. Don't, listen, don't watch what they say. Don't watch how they make you feel. Watch what they do. Do they live like self-giving disciples of Jesus who are full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control? 
Are they these types of people? Now, I say all that to get here. You must simply get this. What you need to learn to do is to relate to the different types of people differently. So here's what the Bible says. With wise people, you wanna have personal relationships. Let me just say this. Wise people are rare. Wise people are rare. When you find a Jesus-y wise person, you expend time, money, and energy to get as close to them as you can and stay close. Anything you can, it's like, I'm gonna get as close to you as I can, close enough that I can see how you live your life. How do you think? How do you talk? How do you do marriage? How do you do parenting? Some of you right now, I didn't say this in any other service, so I just feel like I need to say it right now, okay? Uh, if your age begins with a five or higher, would you raise your hand right now? Keep them up right now. Okay, hey, everybody. If you're, if you're not, keep them up. If you're not raising your hand, everything that you need in your heart and life is in the hearts and lives of the people with their hands up. Put your hands down right now. Listen, here's what I mean, is this isn't always true. There are older, foolish and evil people. But in general, the longer somebody walks with Jesus, the more wisdom they accrue. So what some of you need to do is you don't need a book, you don't need a podcast, you don't need that. What you need to do if you're struggling in your marriage and you're younger, what you need to do is you need to find somebody whose hand was just up. They walk in every week. They walk in, they hold hands with their spouse, they're little lovey-dovey. You can just tell, man, they're consistent. Man, these people, there's affection for each other. You need to grab them after a service and go, hi, my name is Josh. We are bad at marriage and you seem good at marriage. Could we buy lunch for you and talk to you? Listen, like, I, I'm just so tired of this. All this stuff, if you're like my generation and down, all the wisdom you need, listen, it's not on TikTok and Instagram. It's not there. All, listen, all the people with the wisdom you need, they're too old to care about TikTok and Instagram. So this is what the body of Christ is designed to do. You don't have everything you need, that's a lie. We have everything that you need. And the wisdom that you need is in other people's lives. All that was free. I didn't even mean to go there. When you find a wise person, you do everything you can to get real tight up to their life in a personal relationship. Now, let me keep going. Foolish people, you need to have a pastoral relationship. When somebody wanders into sin, we're not supposed to cut them off. Guys, Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. We maintain a relationship, but it's a pastoral relationship. I love you, I'll pray for you, I'll bless you, I'll send you the gift card, I'll walk with you through this hard time, I'll disciple you, come be in my life group, let's talk about life. But watch this, it's a one-way relationship of influence, not two-way. You influence them, they don't influence you. You maintain a pastoral relationship. Now, this is the hardest one. With evil people, you need, they need a professional relationship. What this means, this is by far the hardest one, what this means is they are not beyond help, they are beyond your help. They need a professional. They need Jesus, a treatment center, a counselor, a judge. Some of them need a jail cell. They need, they need professional. Yeah, Josh, but God can help anybody. Yeah, but you can't. Yeah, but you can't. And evil people, they're not, they're not beyond, that's it. Evil people are not beyond help. They're beyond your help. Paul was an evil person he, who couldn't be helped. God knocks him off his horse, changes, you know, changes him into a, a, a great missionary. He wasn't beyond God's help. He was beyond other people's help. Now, this is a spot I'm gonna get, I'm gonna crawl up in a really sensitive thing. Again, this is the last time, I promise. Some of you, here's a spot you're in. The hardest thing, felt led by the Spirit to say this this week. The hardest thing is when you have an immediate or a close family member who is foolish or evil 
And when that happens, they're a person who makes everybody uncomfortable. They cross every boundary. They're belligerent. You know, sometimes they're very harmful. They make your kids uncomfortable. And then what will happen is your whole family gathers around you to try to pressure you into making them the exception to how God's word says you should relate to people in those categories. That gets really, really uncomfortable. So here's what happens. You've got like a father-in-law who's a foolish or an evil dude. He doesn't respect anybody's boundaries. He's always getting in your business. He's overbearing. He can't, you know, makes everybody uncomfortable. Sometimes he's actually harmful. And your family's like, yeah, but he's dad. Yeah, but he's family. Yes, we need to be spending lots of time. The kids need to spend time with Papa. Okay, well, hey, check this out. What Genesis, I'm especially talking to men right now. What the book of Genesis says is that when you married your wife, what you did is you, quote, left your father and mother. You cleave, leave and cleave, you cleave to your wife. So you left that family and you started your own family. So if you ever get to a spot where you have to draw a boundary between your old family and your new family to protect your new family, you stand up, act like a man and you do it. See, this is what God is, you you have to have the wisdom to be able to do these things. Now, let, let me land a plane right here. I've had too much fun this service, okay? Now, here's why I'm saying all this. This all drives to this. I told you last week I was gonna preach this verse this week, and I'm gonna give it to you right here. This is from 2 Corinthians. Now, you tell me, I'm gonna point at this. 2 Corinthians was written to Christians in what city? Corinth, Corinth. In the same way that in modern America, there are some areas that are more conservative and some areas that are more progressive. In ancient Rome, there are more progressive and more conservative areas. Corinth was like downtown Portland, progressive capital of Rome. It was a college town. Everybody was young, educated, and single. They were all waking up at the crack of noon and drinking mimosas, getting drunk, trying to get lucky, making up pronouns. They were all like, my body, my stickers on the backs of all their camels, and they were all talking about moving to Austin. This was, this was, all, this was all of Corinth. Now, it's really interesting that that is the city where Paul gives his most clear, his most direct, his most assertive commands to Christians about how they should and shouldn't do their relationships. Hey, heads up, Lake Point family, if you haven't figured this out, in modern America, you live in Corinth. Modern America, you live in Corinth. So there's a reason that God gave, that he gives this command into this culture. And watch what he says. He says, don't, don't be yoked together with who? With For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now remember, it's okay to have pastoral relationships. Yes, of course, we're on mission. We want unbelievers in our lives, but we don't wanna be yoked to them. I'll explain what that means, okay? And then he says, what harmony is there between Christ and Satan? Or or what's a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Here's what Paul's saying, So, so check this out. What he's saying is, Man, there's two different types of people on this earth, okay? There are some people, I mean, I'm just gonna go ahead and do both of them. There's some people who, what they are is, um, is he, he goes, hey, two categories. Look at your life. He's like, there's unbelievers who love righteousness. They're towards darkness. You know, the, the, you know their, their life is cursed. By the way, God has a plan to bless your life. Satan has a plan to curse your life. And ultimately you get to decide which plan you're on. The, the greatest determining factor in which plan you're on is the people you choose to be close to. That's what that verse is saying. So it's like unbelievers, unrighteousness, darkness, curse, Satan, idols. And then there's some other people who like, here's who they are. They're believers. They're moving towards righteousness. They're people of light. They bring blessing. They put you, push you towards Jesus. They're, they're people who love the church. Now watch this. When he uses the word yoke, a yoke was something that chained two things together. A yoke was a chain. Paul's saying, when you do relationships, you're actually building chains. 
Now, here's how this works. You gonna work this for you or against you? Here's how it works. When you make a choice to consistently hang out with somebody, that choice turns into a relationship over time. If you maintain that relationship, that relationship influences you. Next chain link. And oh, by the way, what what we know is that the two core needs of the human heart are to belong and to matter. So if you surround yourself with the, whoever you surround yourself with, you actually need them to meet one of your core needs. So this influence eventually becomes a need and needs function like chains. What Paul is saying is with your relationships, choices become chains. Choices become chains. So watch this. When you're choosing who to hang out with, he's saying, man, you're, you're going, oh, man, it's no big deal. Dude, we're just going to movies. We're just hanging out. You know, it's just Friday night. Nothing's, this is a big deal. They're not going to influence me. I'm just hanging out with them. Paul's like, are you, are you crazy? Well, yes, you are. He's going, every re- deep relational, this is a chain. So here's what will happen. You think you're just hanging out when you're actually attaching a chain to something. And Paul's going, if you yoke yourself to unbelievers, unrighteousness, darkness, curse, Satan, idols, then what will happen is you may right now be a point in your life where you've been coming to Lake Point for five or six weeks. And here's what's happened. You've crossed the line of faith. God's given you a new heart, a new identity, a new eternity, a new savior, a new destiny, but you can't get there. You're like trying, but you can't get there. Why? Because you're trying to live a new life, but you're chained to old relationships. You are yoked to something that will not allow you to get over there. So every time you start trying to live this life, all your relationships are like, oh, don't do that. Oh, yeah, it's fine if you do that. You be you, go where you're celebrated, not where you're tolerated. Those people are so judgy, all the things. Hey, come back. And so you're trying to go over here, but your relationships are pulling you back here. Listen to me. You cannot live the right life with the wrong friendships. You can't do it. That's 2 Corinthians 6. Now, here's what's awesome. Good news. That sounded heavy. Good news. Paul's saying you can actually hack this principle and work it backwards. Because Paul's going, what you can do is if you choose relationships with the people of God, you're not just hanging out. You are yoking and chaining yourself to watch righteousness, light, blessing, Christ, and the church. And even when you have moments in your life where temptation and flesh rise and you try to go back over here, what happened is you hacked the system and now all your relationships, you can't go over there because all your relationships are pulling you back to Jesus. Hey, Lake Point Church, check this. That's right, man. Hey, Lake Point Church. Choose this day whom you will be with. Choose your chains. Choose your chains. That's the chain that you want. Now, last thing I'm gonna say, if you cut yourself off from the people of God, you cut yourself off from the supernatural work of God because the supernatural power of God flows through the people of God. It flows through the people of God. I want you to see the power of this through the story of a couple in our church. Check this out with me. I think we always knew we wanted to have a family. We were in a life group, we had friends, we had routine. We just decided it's time. Let's let's start our family. Most people don't get pregnant on their first month. Every month that goes by, you just lose a little bit of that hope. There is no pain like having to be around all your friends and feel like you can't be genuine. As our friends got pregnant, it's the epitome of I'm so happy for you and I am heartbroken for me. And it doesn't really hit until you get home all those dreams that we talked about when we were dating and engaged, I don't think we're ever gonna have that. 
while we're walking through infertility, your life keeps moving. Jordan got a new job. We built a house, we moved locations, and we still kept driving to Rockwall for our life group for months, like six months after we built the house because the farther you get into your infertility journey, the more alone you feel, the more the devil tries to isolate you and you start feeling in your heart, are we really gonna drive 45 minutes? We started asking God, what's next? And they had been talking about North Dallas and text 20411. And we heard Josh's New Year sermon at home of, you know, God's gonna do a new thing. And are you open to it? And from the moment we walked in the door, it just felt like home. I had about this much to give left in my life. And when I found about home groups, it was just in your home, meeting with people that you know, talking through the lesson, that was something I could do and that was something I could commit to. Before the first week when we decided to be very vulnerable, Kate and I had talked about, well, we're gonna put everything on the table and things could get really weird. I was blown away with how receptive our group was. We started that group in the very next month. We were six weeks in our home group and we got pregnant. It wasn't until a couple weeks later we find out we have twins. I was 31 weeks and I just feel my water just broke. And I immediately start crying and we've got to go to the hospital now. And you just say, God, no, God, please, please. They're 31 weeks. And they wheel me off and the doctor says they're stable right now, but I think you're having a placental abruption which is fatal to them and to me. And then they put me to sleep. And it is only by God's goodness that I am alive today and that my children are alive today. There was a, one member of our group who God woke him up at 2.25 in the morning, right when Kate got wheeled out and said, you need to pray for her life. And he did. There is nothing more supportive of our group than the power of prayer because anybody can bring food and they did and people can bring support and they did, but our group prays and we believe in the power of prayer and we believe in the gifts of the Spirit and we believe that if you ask, God listens. Through infertility, it was the hardest, most dark, deep suffering and pain we'd ever felt in our lives. The most amount of loneliness, dependence on God, but He is good and His plan was better. And we are where we are today because God is good. We're, We're the, the Roikas, Roikas and, and this, this is, is how, how Jesus changed our lives. Amen, 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 <clears throat> amen. Well, hey, here's what's going on. This uh, service is very different today. Literally, service is over right now. Don't start moving. I just got like one thing to say, okay? Service is over. There's not anything happening after this. Here's what, Today is the day you get to choose a new chain. That's what happens today. So here's what's going on. At all of our campuses, we are launching like 40 or 50 brand new life groups. You're not gonna be able to, only one new. I'm asking you, if you're not connected to a life group regularly, to sign up to test, um, just test drive, test drive a group for the next six weeks. Not till Jesus returns. Not till Jesus, if you get in and there are weird people, we have some weird people here. 
You can, it's fine. You can just stay for six weeks, leave the weird people group, go find a normal people group. That's fine. I'm just saying, test drive a group for the next six weeks. We got every, we got men's groups, women's groups, marriage groups. We got, you know, uh, regen, re-engage, all the things. You, you name it, we got it. We, we, we name. And they meet at all different times. Every day of the week, we got men's groups meet like 6 a.m. before work, all the things. You name it, we got it. So listen, I'm asking you, to choose a new channel. I'm just gonna say it like husbands, especially, man. I'm asking you to like lead out in the moment, go, hey, let's try this. Six weeks, that's all I'm saying. Now, some of you are like, yeah, man, but like I tried a group one time and I didn't like it. You've tried restaurants you didn't like before, but you kept eating. Yeah, it's like, you know, oh, you guys say this. Well, I, you know, we tried one a long time ago. The first time we went, it was awkward. Oh, it was kind of awkward the first time you slept with your wife, but you kept giving that to the old college try. You kept going, it seems like you'll keep trying on the things that are important. That's what it seems like. And hey, all this, this is important. It's important. So I'm asking you just to, <laughs> I'm asking you to just, just step in and test drive something. In my entire life as a pastor, I've never, you're not gonna regret it. So here's what you need to do, man. We got your kids for the next 10 minutes. You're fine. We, we're planning on it. That's cool. Stay and hang out. You can text, out, text the word group to the number 20411. Text group to 20411. Go, just go through it. It's really easy. You can see all the groups. You can sign up to test drive one. Or if you're like, ah, I'm not a tech person, that's fine. We got a bunch of people at every campus at the backs of auditoriums and in lobbies in bright red shirts. Just go find one and be like, help me. I have no idea how to do this. And they'll help you, okay? They'll concierge you. But I'm asking you to do it, uh, test drive it for the next six weeks. It's gonna be awesome. That's all I'm gonna say. I love you. I'm done. Go do it. Peace. Okay, that's it. Thanks for listening today. For more biblical teaching and worship, join us for our church online live weekend services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9.30 and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. For more information about all the digital ministries of Lake Point, visit lakepoint.church/digital. digital.